January 10th meeting of the finance committee to get Do we have any public comment from anyone in the public either here in the room or in Zoom land as Tom versus I don't see anybody. Just um, Chana and Mike are participating remotely. We have we have two members participating remotely, and everybody in this room is here to answer questions, not ask them. So we're good. We have no approval of minutes. The build down series. Did you want to say something about that, or is, are we looking at um, who's next? Who's next? Um, so I neglected on the future agenda items, Chair, to put February 7th we have a meeting. Um, and uh, we're definitely gonna review the town fiscal policies as we do every two years at that meeting. If there's other departments that folks would wanna see pre-budget, um, February 7th would be the meeting because then as I note on here, March 6th would be um, the joint budget subcommittee and then we're in essentially then into full-fledged budget <coughs> mode for FY25. So, um, and then we did facilities. Um, we've heard often from public safety. I think we know their numbers pretty well. DPW, I think we have a pretty good idea. Um, and uh, so we're just looking for, if there's another deep dive series that folks want to see before um, budget season, we should, we should invite those folks in. I think at some time we may want to have a discussion about what happens in deep dive. I know. Would you deep dive into the, the well, deep change, dive. change the format. Instead of what you do and how you do it, maybe we need to do um, how you yeah, it was more like thinking about a standardized format because I think we do like a, hey, come talk to us. And that's challenging too, right? Because you're like, ugh, like I had to put together a presentation and I don't know what people want. So maybe just formalizing a, here, this is what we're looking for, and I'm just kind of going off the fly, but it's like key members of my team with pictures. And then it's like um, key initiatives for this year, um, main things we've accomplished maybe in the last year, uh, main things we're looking to accomplish or challenges we're facing as we go into the next fiscal year. So kind of just instead of more, and, and maybe a brief overview of what they do, but instead of maybe just doing them, what do you do, kind of focusing in a little bit more on what's changed in the past year, especially as many people have now come up here more than once, it gets hard to come up with material short for that as well. Sure. Anybody else want to comment on that? You know, sure. Sorry. So remind me of the calendar. So then the next time we do any sort of deep dive will be those May meetings or getting into the budget. Is that that's, fair? That's the budget hearings, yeah. So, so do you, we, yeah. I don't know, do we want to do like a, and I don't even know if we can turn it around by then. I'm thinking of schools. It's always going to be a big thing during budget. Do we want to do like a preemptive, here's the challenges we sure. think we're going to encounter type? Just to, Sure. I don't know. We could do I, that. I feel like we just hear, like, get there yeah. and then it's like, big reaction, right? Maybe we can react more. I don't know. <laughs> but just to get it out there sooner so people can start. Yeah. I don't 
sometimes the more we talk about things, maybe it resonates more. I think you're right. I hope. I would hope that. I hope sincerely hope that's the case. Um, it does sometimes feel it, for me it's like Groundhog Day. You know, sometimes I wake up and I feel like it's a year later, and I'm like, wait a minute, we're talking about the same things. I don't know how to change the paradigm on that. I like Natalie's idea of more of a standard format. We never really talked about it before. Um, you know, there is a little bit of pressure there on the staff, but I think as we are continuing to build capacity to do more of the analytics, a little bit more presentation style, a little bit more graphics like we've done in the budget, um, historical data, et cetera, maybe these, the standard format I think does make a lot of sense so people know. And I think in the past, and it hasn't happened a lot, but I've tried to invite, like when we had the permitting staff here, I brought the whole team in, so they were here, right? So at least those types of things are happening. But I like, you know, an overview, kind of key members of the team, accomplishments and the challenges. Um, we can kind of do that almost town-wide, kind of a preview of the budget coming up. Um, because even on the May 6th meeting for the joint budget, you know, that's only four of you. <clears throat> and then there's four finger, you know, um, three school community members that think four counselors or whatever it is. So not everybody else may not get the same thing. I can give you a little preview that, you know, that meeting is going to be a lot of very familiar, you know, um, terminology that we went through before, but I still think it bears repeating. So that's a great idea. So if there's not any specific departments folks want to um, be brought in before the budget hearings and stuff, we can, I can go through my analysis and we'll also, again, go through the financial policies, so. Anybody else? Um, the only other thing I think for future agenda items, kind of, is if we do, depending on how snow falls, um, I would be interested over the next couple meetings just kind of seeing how that budget is tracking against, like, actual spend. Won't be as meaningful if we don't get much snow, but supposedly it's gonna be a big year, so that would be interesting. Well, just yeah, and I know you mean this, but just for the pub, just for the public, that also means you know treatment, salt, like you know ice, you know slush cleanup, drainage problems. I mean, there's a lot that goes into just snow. Exactly. So even if we don't get the hundred inches of snow, I'm guessing that um, the DPW director is going to say that still we're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars already, even though it doesn't feel like there's a lot of snow, right? Yeah, I just want because especially as we go into sure. like the end of the year too, right? If we end up overspending there, it's gonna pull, have to pull from other places. So yep. just kind of keep that pulse there. We can do that on February 17th, up to date numbers and routes. I think we may need it through the chainsaw budget. Eventually we're gonna need, eventually it's stormwater budget. Because <laughs> that's actually what's going to fix some of these issues that you see uh, infrastructure-wise. But we'll wait for another day for that. I will ask him, the senior director, what happened to the trucks to pick up the leaves? That's what I'm thinking. That was in a presentation. Yeah. I made 21 trips to transit. Not that you're counting. Not that I'm counting. Thank you for doing your part to foster slowly. Thank you. <laughs> Always do my part. Uh, Mr. Town Administrator, the capital plan. Yep. So through Mr. Chairman, through the committee, um, I put an updated uh, memo on everybody's desk. Um, just to note, the one update from what you got in the packet last week um, relates to one project in the Water Enterprise Fund only. 
um, that I literally just completely forgot to put on the memo. Um, and so we'll go through that. I just want everybody to know, it's not like everything changed. It's just one project was left off that should have been on there. And we'll get to that when we talk about water in a minute. Um, just for the folks watching at home and uh, in the audience, um, you know, pretty straightforward like we do every year. Uh, for the new members, we just try to lay out the certified free cash total. There's a series of town policies uh, with OPEB, fire truck stabilization, field stabilization, open space stabilization, budget stabilization um, that we traditionally fund through free cash. Uh, all of these stabilization <coughs> accounts, I'll remind everybody, are integral to our AAA bond rating. Um, and if anybody uh, wants verification of that, they can look at the, uh, the two bond rating uh, reports that we have up on our website. Um, so really, after you deduct those policy deductions uh, for those stabilization accounts, um, we're left with 3.472 million in free cash to spend. Um, the proposal you have in front of you actually adds up to about 3.1 million. There's 300,000 that relates to uh, an executive session topic that will come back to the Finance Committee likely uh, later this spring. So we're just kind of holding a few dollars for a round two. Um, and this year, I'm really happy to announce that it's taken years. And Natalie, I, I'm just going to lay it out there because it's been you've, you've, since you've been on the FinCom, you've asked about snow and ice a lot. And we were able to find a way to take off the capital plan the 800,000 every year that we would hold for excess snow and ice removal. Um, and we were able to incorporate that in the operating budget in full cost because of the stormwater utility that we did in the last budget this year. Some folks have said to me, wow, you know, we felt like we won the lottery this year. We got, every, we got a lot of stuff we, we, we needed. Well, that's because we weren't, we, we're not having to hold $800,000 or $750,000 for snow and ice removal. So it really did free up a lot of additional free cash um, for other capital needs. So, um, can I interrupt? Yep. What happens if it does go into the red? Where does that come from? Right. Well, it really depends. I mean, first, first things first is you. If, if we have that bad of a year, right, we're looking at FEMA assistance in a lot of cases. And number two, if we had that bad of a year, every other town in Massachusetts had that bad of a year, and typically in some situation like this, there'll be state assistance to try to plug some portions of the gap. Um, if we have that bad of a year, third option would be coming back in June and making a budget transfer from other departments um, that have underspent their budgets or have been able to save resources because of personnel changes or whatever the dynamics are. For those of you who don't know what free cash is, there's a glossary at the end and there's a, there's a right? But really most free cash comes from unspent municipal money. And I say municipal specifically because school excess funds actually are under a different set of laws. So they don't turn back necessarily a tremendous amount of unused money in general. They usually use all their money, but they also their ex excess money that they don't spend does not go to free cash necessarily. Most of this municipal loss. It's also unforeseen revenue sources um, that may have come in from, um, you know, from FEMA or in the case of um, we're starting to get some of our money finally from the pandemic, um, and so we're kind of plugging those uh, numbers up from I know three and a half, four years ago. So um, we would come back probably in June to the FinCom and Council and say. Well, we went over the snow and ice budget, 200,000. We're gonna transfer money from excess revenues in other accounts to make up for that amount if the Fed and state governments didn't come through for a, for a large year. 
the one question I have, could we at some point get a listing of what is actually what made up free cash? I mean, I know. I, mean, I guess we could. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just that's a lot of money to have. I know there's new growth in there that we we probably underestimated as we should. Um, but there's if there's turnbacks, it would be interesting to know from whence they came. Did we over budget on the DPW, the fire department, the police, that kind of stuff? Because um, that. that Four and a half million dollars is what three or four percent of the budget. So it is. Um, we can get a breakdown of that. Um, in the case of fire and police specifically, they don't turn back very much at all. Right. Their budgets are pretty so. meticulous. Four and a half million dollars has to come from someplace. Right. I would be curious as to where it comes from. Just as we look at the budgets in May. Sure. Well, I guess I would turn it back to you, Mr. Chairman. I mean, it depends on how much you guys want me to talk about what's in the memo or not, or if you just want to ask questions or, uh, you know, I think what's here is what you see is what you get. There's not really a lot of gotcha stuff here. Um, most of this is fairly traditional. Um, the first page is really those policy requests. I put in here all the trust fund balances of all those accounts. Um, and then the departmental requests, I, I, I would hope are straightforward, but obviously all the department heads are here tonight um, and uh, division staff to answer any questions specifically about any projects. Um, you know, if you want me to read them all like liquor licenses for the camera, I can, but um, I feel like then I'll hear myself talk for 15 minutes. <laughs> um, I have a specific question based on the, the, the email that you and I got and yeah. on, on the uh, quote open space. We're looking to build a police station. We're gonna need three acres of land somewhere. Can that money be used to purchase that land? Or is it, is it specific to be used for open space? Especially now where the CPA is. So as I explained in my email that I think all of you got received, uh, we had paused any open space contributions for uh, several years um, due to the pandemic. And then really when CPA passed, that was really lowest on the totem pole to really reintroduce back into the policies. Um, and I'm just gonna say it, it's not like it's been shy, but Councilor Frangillo and a couple of other counselors have been really advocating for us to get back on that policy commitment. To be clear, if that money gets deposited in the open space stabilization, it can only be used for open space purposes. Um, I will say that the money I cited a moment ago, the few hundred thousand and extra, part of why that's not on here is we are evaluating um, a land acquisition fund for exactly those purposes that you just spoke of, of how do we, if we need for additional facilities or space, or police, fire, schools, anyone, you know, we don't really have a, an account in which we can go into um, to have any cash um, assets. So we are evaluating the, the legal language around the land acquisition fund. If we created a land acquisition fund, we then could use it. If the FinCom wants to recommend to the town council 
that you believe that 100,000 in open space, the Community Preservation Act, is enough for open space, you can absolutely re recommend to use that 100,000 to put toward other land acquisition for any other municipal purposes. Um, so it does not have to go in there. That is certainly a policy debate that I think the constituent that emailed us was raising, um, and certainly within the family comms uh, round to do that. Um, I have one question as I go through the list. Um, asked by a member who can't be here tonight, Heather. The sped van and the school department. She specifically asked, were there grant money, is there grant money available typically for that type of purchase for the schools? That was her specific question. I'll defer to others too, not that I'm aware of. I don't know if, because yeah, you do fleet, I'm not, I, Bruce, I've never heard of anything. Oh, Bob, really. Lucas? Yeah, feel free. Thank you. Uh, I've, I've not, in eight years as a superintendent or business manager, seen grants for vehicles other than electric buses. Um, other than that, mm. haven't seen anything. I didn't think so, but Heather did ask. That's a great question. Uh, and there was also a pretty long discussion and uh, great responses from both the town administrator and the school superintendent about the, the Chromebook policy and the replacement, non-replacement, that kind of stuff. Maybe if Lucas could, uh, I don't, I don't see Tim. He's right here. Oh, there he is. <laughs> if maybe you could explain uh, your response to why we do Chromebooks the way we do versus Boston, which was the question from the taxpayer. That's okay. Which was the, the question that was, what was the last part of it? He specifically asked why Boston does it one way and we do it another. Right. So it, right. To, just to clarify the chair's question, the constituent's question, we have a one-to-one -one policy here. Every student gets a Chromebook, we're in Google Classroom, et cetera. The city of Boston has an option. So if you have your own laptop in Boston, you can use your own laptop, but it's not a one-to-one -one policy. They don't provide Chromebooks to the whole district. They're options for people that don't have other computers. Does that summarize the question, Jordan? Yes. So that was the question, and we started with the response was that that was actually a misconception. It's not how Boston Public Schools does it at all. Um, I call, I, I emailed the tech director over there, who I happen to know, and I said, you know, this doesn't sound right. Is this actually how you do it? He said, no, that's not at all how we do it. How we do it is um, we do have a one-to-one -one policy for all of our students. And in addition, and this may be where the confusion came in, if there is a student that has exceptional needs, you know, um, low income and can't afford a computer at home, and has difficulty carrying that back and forth, you know, think Boston, it's a little bit more difficult here to just shove it on a bus, um, then they will, based on that need, will give the student a second Chromebook to keep at home. 
and leave the other Chromebook in school. So Boston is actually much more generous than us. They give everybody a Chromebook, and some kids they give two Chromebooks. So we give everyone a single Chromebook, one-to-one, and -one. high school we do have BYOD um, if you prefer, and we do have roughly 60 to, uh, 50 to 60 students that do take advantage of that. They'll, they'll prefer to have their own devices. Um, instead of our Chromebook and have and you know be responsible for the damage of that Chromebook. And of course we do have our optional insurance as well that we offer to parents. The other point you made in there was the, the downside of buying four thousand at a time or X number at a time because they all die at the same time. Yes. So um, and of course that was that was you know, purchased with, you know, COVID money funds, you know, when all the kids had to go home, we needed a bunch of Chromebooks, so we had already bought 500 for our regular, back then it was 500 a year, for our regular 500 complement for the um, new high school students, and then COVID hit, and I was like, we need another 4,000 devices. So we took money, bought a million dollars, and went and bought another 4,000 devices, passed them all out, and everybody went home and had a much better experience than the first, I'd say, three, four months of Remote learning was just a real nightmare um, with the old Chromebooks we had. Once we got our new Chromebooks in, life was much better. But yes, as, as stated, when you buy a bunch of devices all at once, it's really difficult to make that choice of, do I hang on to all of these Chromebooks and then have to replace them all at the same time? Well, you want to come up with a million dollars in a couple of years, you, you just can't do that, right? So we have to start cycling them. And it's a difficult um, combination of should I buy it, should I wait? Um, but again, it's, you know, should we lease, should we not, should we put it in regular budget? We had those discussions last year as well. So there's, there's a lot of questions that come up. Um, but this year it was decided, we did, you know, look at all those options, but in this year it was decided that we would put it in capital for this year as well. And yet the 400 Chromebooks, as you know, our work on enrollment went down a little bit. So. Um, that's where we are. How many do we have in service today? Um, roughly 44, 4,500, 4, but that, those aren't all take home. Only middle and higher take home, which is roughly about 2,000, uh, a little over 2,000 so, with the stairs. And the other question I have is on the Chromebooks, does it ease? Do we have to purchase as many hard books versus what's available on the Chromebooks? Do, does purchasing Chromebooks defray the, the need to buy textbooks? I would say in some areas it has an impact, and but that would be more of a curriculum discussion on you know the, what is included in the curriculum materials that we're per, that are purchasing. That I don't really get too much involved in that, so it's really a combination. I know that it definitely defrays it in some way. To what degree, I don't know. <clears throat> Guys, any questions? Kind of on that regard, because the curriculum piece is another one that I, I know we just like, feel like we had the discussion last year, too, of like, ah, it doesn't make sense to me that this is capital either, because, I don't know, like you can't defer that a year, right? Like if you don't get it, you don't get it, you don't get that learning. So that's always a challenge for me that it's, that it's just here. So I'm just, I'm, I guess there's no fix around that, but that's just kind of, it, I don't understand how that could move into the operating budget because I just feel like it's a necessity or you lose that level of learning.
those of you I haven't met, um, Tina Rogers is the superintendent teaching and learning. So I think oftentimes when it comes to curriculum, we do purchase, we do embed much of, much of that in our budget. For example, you know, AP stats, AP psych. Uh, we purchased in our operating budget and you know, through grant funding, middle school science. Um, we purchased uh, like a supplemental digital tool that's part of our curriculum for elementary through grant funding in our budget. So there are curriculum purchases that we do embed in our budget, but when it comes to larger and multi-year purchases, we often can't, we can't absorb that into our operating budget, so that's when you see the larger pieces, like last year we came for a K-5 curriculum for literacy, which was a multi-year purchase, which you know we can get um, a cheaper rate for purchasing multi-year. So going through capital, we could purchase for five years rather than us being able to absorb you know, maybe a year or two within our operating budget. And so it, it, it's just like the balance of certain areas we can absorb, but there are others that when you're talking larger scale purchases across multiple, um, like you don't often see us coming for high school curriculum because we could buy class sets of bio books or we have a cyclical replacement of certain courses that we absorb. Yeah, okay, that makes, that makes total sense. I think it's, that's helpful and I, and I understand the logic. Um, and I know one of the comments too is like, this is kind of the way it's always been done. So you kind of have to like balance your budgets and make it work that way. I think the challenge just for me is in a year where the budget could be tight, I would hate for curriculum to be like, oh, we don't have the capital for that. Like we can't do the most, like, that, like that's just a not, you, you can't not have that. So it's hard for me to have things that you can't not have in the capital budget. So, but totally makes sense. Thank you. Anything else? Thank you, Tim. Okay. Oh, Tim, I have one more question. A kind of general revolving equipment. Um, having been a banker for 35 years, I keep coming back and it's never in, in my mind where it is. Where's the back, the disaster recovery site for the town and the schools, police and fire, and I know the police are a little different, they use something different. Is is there a viable backup site in the community or outside of it? I don't really care where it is. Yep. They can come up in an hour. Yep. I wouldn't say an hour. I'd say maybe one to three hours. But um, our system is set up redundant at the high school, so everything that runs the school is a mirror image of hardware hardware-wise, and, and everything that runs the town. So there's a closet over here that we have a stack in. There's a closet over the high school we have a stack in. And they are replicated to each other. So if the this building were to collapse, we could go over to the high school. We're not going to say it's going to come up in an hour, but we can bring Munis, which as we know is the most important thing. We can bring Munis and accounts and everything all back up on that virtual stack at the high school and connect to it and then figure out where we're going to put people and then connect to those people. Um, same thing at the schools. If the schools, the high school were to get demolished for whatever reason, we would have to run networking, but all of the data is safe over here and replicated. Furthermore, as an offsite, that data is also backed up offsite for if in the off chance that both buildings get destroyed and we cannot recover either one of those, 
that's not gonna happen in three hours. That will probably take multiple days to pull all of that information off of our off-site storage because it's such a large amount of data. It would take a long time to pull down, but it would be there. Is the data updated in real time or in a nighttime backup routine of some kind? No, town and schools are replicating on an hourly basis, so they are kept up to date. They're virtual servers, so what they're doing is they're syncing. Yeah. Um, and you know, doing checkpoints and all that sort of thing. And then at night we have a regular backup, so we offload data. And, you know, we'll do a nightly backup with Munis. We'll do a weekly backup with Munis, so that if we have to roll back to a certain point in time, which we have had to do on occasion, we can jump back to that point in time. And does that physical data move somewhere to Mushet, Montana, my favorite town? <laughs> well, it's actually offloaded to a server. Everything's cloud. Right, so it's not physical. Nothing's physical anymore. Right, uh, the only when you say physical data, the only thing physical about data is a hard drive. So we have hard drives there and hard drives here, and then we have the cloud, which is who knows what those are, but it's a service called Wasabi, believe it or not, um, and that's where we push our data up to. Um, and so it's very cheap to put the data there, um, but when you pull the data back, if you have a catastrophe, they will charge you. So, but that's again, that's if we we lose both at the same time, because we are backing up, we're syncing back and forth, back and forth. So we do have offsite backup within town separated by a couple miles, which is pretty good practice. You know, I know banks like to have things on the opposite coast, but you know, we're not, we're not that. I have a question, <clears throat> come back to technology initiative for students in schools. Mm -hmm. Are there any SPED students that are nonverbal? That would not be a me question. Leaving <laughs> <laughs> everyone. Um, yes, we do have students who are nonverbal and use assistive technology. They use the talkies. They use the. Yeah, there's different devices depending on the right. need uh, of the students, and, and those are provided to them. They, those are provided to them in service. I want to say, uh, Tim, your department we also services some of the, yeah. the hardware side. We support a, a support a, a various types of assistive technologies, that being one of them, um, assistive hearing, uh, the, the right. diabetic blood tracing stuff on the tablets, yeah, all kinds of apps and assistive technologies. Good. Yeah. Right. Great. That's a good question. Sure. <coughs> well done. I didn't know we were going to do a deep dive. Hey, I got to talk this time. It's good. I have a follow-up on that. Sure. Do you, does the town have cyber insurance? Oh, yeah. We have to do a lot this year to actually qualify to even purchase cyber insurance. Um, we had to make everybody do multi-factor authentication. We had to make a lot of people put Duo on their laptops if they had VPN, which is, you know, authentication to your phone pops up, that sort of thing. Everyone loves it. <laughs> You're the most popular person in the world. <laughs> 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 Thank you. So yeah, we're doing everything that we need to do. We're actually doing a little bit more than we need for the requirement um, that. Um, so the cyber insurance, Maya said, this is these are the things you need to have, um, and one of them was um, um, uh, detection and response software that we had to install. Fine, but we chose to have um, managed detection and response instead of just event detection and response. It's a lot more costly. But it's what you, next year, that's what they're going to tell us we need. So I figured we'd just get it now. I negotiated a much better price than we would get next year when everybody else wanted it, needs it. Um, so we're actually a little bit safer than what the insurance says we have to be. 
Great. Does so. it cover ransomware? I'm just curious. The industry I'm in has been attacked severely by ransomware. Industry I'm in has been attacked severely <laughs> too. <Yeah. laughs> Read it in the newspapers, right? My goal is to keep us out of the newspapers. Yeah. Um, and um, so you have to look at the insurance, right? The insurance will pay for a company to come in and help us recover our ransomware stuff. My goal is to make sure that our stuff doesn't get ransomware. That's what the MDR is for, right? So what MDR does is right now, in the middle of the night, two o'clock in the morning, if a ransomware attack starts anywhere in our system, they have the ability to actually shut that system down and they notify us. So that when we wake up in the morning, we go, Oh, we were attacked, but only this amount of data was compromised. Not the entire, it hasn't been running around for the last three, four hours in the middle of the night, just creating havoc. Um, so that's why we needed that extra piece. Where the lower cost versions that you wake up in the morning and say, hey, you're being attacked. And it's too late, you know, the ship has sailed. So that's, that's the, where we are. And also really quickly on that, um, our insurance company, Maya, also does actually pay back um, from some of the damages, as we learned a few years ago. But um, but that insurance coverage, as Tim just mentioned, the standards are getting higher, which is good. You know, we have an organization wide, including the schools, no E4 trainings. We do all sorts of surprise, you know, things for people. We track all the data. Um, we look at the numbers. Tim looks at those analytics, tries to see where weak spots are. We do additional trainings. But in terms of monetary dollars, the insurance companies um, uh, that we use, that all municipalities use really, um, we have various types of insurance on public officials, crim criminality, and actually getting dollars back for, for any um, actual financial loss. So we're pretty, about as good of an insurance system as we can have, um, and we have as good of a prevention system as we probably can have too. And we're just trying to catch up with the bad guys like you are at your home. Yeah. All right. Thank you. I have a question not related to, yeah. to Chromebooks or the schools or anything. Um, I see in here there are a total of eight vehicles that are being requested for various, you know, public works and the fire department and the police department. I was just curious. All of the vehicles are old. They're all exceeding their useful life, et cetera. But do they, do we have a, do we usually sell them? Or do they sort of remain in service and they just get driven until they don't drive anymore? And if they get sold, does that money just stay within that department and it's just useful funds or? So without getting into every piece of apparatus, because you can't just hop on eBay, well, you could actually sell a fire truck on eBay. Do you want to speak to this? It's pretty simple. Sure. Feel free. Oh, my legs are asleep. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm just going to write the public works director. <laughs> um, for most of the equipment, by the time we get them, it's like I can speak particularly for the public works equipment that um, well, some of us not going to pass inspection. So, um, and the vehicles are auctioned off. We use an outside um, agency to auction the vehicles off. The money that is brought in for those vehicles are um, goes back to the general fund. Free cash. Free cash. <laughs> another another example of free cash. There are certain examples that um, we do look at the, the value because like anything else, we don't know what it is. So sometimes we'll, we'll put it out with a bid as a trade-in mm -hmm. and see what we're gonna get for the vehicle, uh, especially if it's a specialized piece of equipment. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, it's, um, they're all auctioned off to outside. Um, very rarely does uh, a vehicle um, end up in the fleet that is, 
not being used for. The only example I can also tell you would be maybe a, um, a police vehicle that can't really operate as the police anymore. We might keep it down. The public works is a vehicle for the summer help. When they go out to do work like that, it's just basic transportation. It doesn't have to have the you know, emergency response type of yeah. requirements. Thank you. Um, I'll start another discussion. Sure. Schools related. Um, do we have any blackboards left? Just curious, because we're buying uh, on 150 electronic ones. I haven't seen a chalkboard in a long time. Uh, <laughs> I think there's one of us. It might be one at the museum, I think, actually. Uh, um, and I remember them growing up. But uh, we, haven't, we don't use them in all seriousness. We don't use uh, chalkboards anymore. But we have whiteboards, you know, with the grease marker. And then we have projectors. And you'll notice in the requests, you'll see for uh, touch views which is uh, what we had asked for a few years ago. We implemented K through eight, uh, pre-K through eight actually, Tim, um, to put touch views up. It's a more cost-effective model to replace and more sustainable. The, the bulbs in these projectors, uh, at the time that we made that decision, were really hard to find, and then they were very, very expensive to replace, just the bulbs alone. And uh, it was a more cost-effective measure to do the touch. You can come up to okay. do the touch views. Um, so at the high school, we have the projector model. And one thing I'd say is this is the, the key instructional tool. When you're in a classroom now, in lieu of a whiteboard, what we might have known, or a chalkboard, you're projecting. We all experience presentations throughout the day. Just picture a teacher, kid moving from uh, you know biology to chemistry to whatnot. That's the, me the, the methodology of the delivery model in many cases to at least key up the key information. Kids work in groups, obviously, but at the high school, that equipment uh, is hitting the 10-year uh, mark at this point, and the bulbs um, start to go. And you start to see that happen. It starts to happen like a whack-a-mole a bit. So uh, this is an attempt to get the whole district uniform with the uh, touch view systems and implement those. Uh, and obviously, we provide training for the teachers as we do that along the way. I'll let you fill in the rest. Yeah, um, so um, K to 8, Pre-K to eight is already all touch view. Uh, they all have the touch screens, about 300 of them throughout the district. Um, high school is the last one that isn't. Why? Well, go back to those 4,000 Chromebooks, right? We bought them all at once. Well, we bought the high school all at once, too. Yeah. So everything in the high school is getting aged out at the same time. Where are we? Well, that was 2014. Just seemed like it was yesterday. Well, we're in 2024. Everything's 10 years old. So projectors lifespans about 10 years. Um, you can replace those bulbs, which we do. Replace the bulbs when they when they go out. I mean, obviously, they're running all day, every single day, in every single classroom. Um, but as as Lucas referred to, that they're getting more and more difficult to find because they're already end of life, and manufacturers are not going to keep making projector bulbs for a ten year old projector. Um, so that's where we are. Um, could we replace all the projectors? We could. It wouldn't be much much of a savings than to put the touch views up there and bring the high school online with everyone else in the district, right? So right now they're still using projectors, they don't have the touch screens. Teachers love touch screens. Um, they're much, much better, they last longer, um, they stay brighter longer, you don't have to replace bulbs. Um, so that's basically what we're doing, is we're, instead of just replacing the projectors, we're gonna bring them in line with everyone else and give them their touch views um, that they've been patiently waiting for. But the high school is, you know, there's a lot of technology we've been doing chipping away at it the last few years. Um, laptops and um, a lot of the, the, the um, you'll, you'll see the equipment for um, 
my brain uh, for yeah the, the um, other projectors the audio system the crestron systems at the high school all of these things are 10 years old you're going to have a tv studio there's some pieces in there that may fail soon um, but we've been chipping away at it year after year to try and bring all of these pieces but again we're running the same problem right everything's aging out at the same time so we're trying to replace them and stagger them a little bit so we don't know what run into that big cost all at once I went to the Ray School here in town, which you don't even know where it is or what it was. <laughs> no. A four-room school at the corner of School Street and Union. No touch views. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you had to go outside and clap out the erasers, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was a task. Uh, Miss, Miss Rogers made sure you did. <laughs> okay. Anything else on like the school's facilities while we have the two guys out there moving? Facilities. 911 upgrade. Isn't that a mech issue now? No. No, it's not. <laughs> State requirement. Yeah. Well, I'll be certain a number of years the state will try to make 911 better, safer. Um, there was one back in like, I think it was nine, 2009, 2010. But over a year ago, they passed this law that everybody has to comply with these new requirements. Um, 911 can only come over on certain types of lines now. Um, we've been using copper lines for 911 because they're it's easier to let them tell you where that line is. But what this includes is, and why you're looking at somewhere up around 300 grand is, all of our current phone systems need upgrades in order to perform the functions that they've now require every city, town, school. So this is for everybody in town. It's for all the schools, it's for all the town properties. The town phone systems actually aren't that old. They're five years old. Some of the stuff in the schools are a lot older, even though we did upgrade stuff over the years. Um, but this brings everybody to a whole new level. And I mean, there's, a, there's so much stuff in this law, it's crazy. But it's, it's something that they're requiring everybody to do. And for some odd reason, they figured they could get people to do it quicker if you put everybody's name online that wasn't doing it um, and made fun of them. So, is this a Verizon thing, um, a vendor, an outside vendor thing, or a system within the building thing? We have systems with we have phone systems within our buildings, voicemail systems within our buildings. So we buy dial tone more virtually, I'll say. It's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of numbers over IP. So it's traveling on all the fiber in town. And then going, we have resellers that we deal with. I mean, when I first came here, we used to spend four or five hundred thousand with Verizon 
now we spend a little over 200,000 and we cover everything in the schools and everything in all the town buildings. We have voicemail, kind of like Tim said, it's, it's similar, but with voicemail and phone system here, the covers everywhere else, phone system, voicemail, at the high school that covers everywhere else that makes this whole thing happen. So this 300 grand is to upgrade the systems to connect, connect the 911, correct? And to the proper... Provide information back to emergency services as to exactly where that phone call came from and what room specifically, not like a person, but a specific spot. And that's what, kind of what the first 911 law tried to do, but technology was way different back at that point. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, thank you, sir. You're welcome. All right. Um, in that same memo we talked about earlier, there was a question, no, this was ahead of the question, about the satisfaction survey. Was did they guarantee a certain response or something? Was that a question? I don't, I don't have it in front of me. I don't recall. Uh, something about if you want to just give a yeah, Reader's Digest version of what we've done. A, we've done a lot of surveys um, recently in town at various projects, um, but they're not scientifically based, and none of them really discuss the overall quality of life um, in the community. Um, many other communities in Massachusetts and across the country participate in these. It's been a goal of the councils in mind for probably four or five years. Um, and so the proposal is to do, is to hire uh, a company that's, court, that's hired by the National Massachusetts Municipal Association called ICMA. It's the 50 states that make up the Mass Municipal Association, kind of our trade group. They contract with the company um, and what we're looking to do is do a scientifically based random survey throughout the community about a whole series of metrics around transportation, around schools, around quality of life, um, even to the nitty gritty of is your community good, you know, um, you know, quality of life to raise a family or is it more of a community that's a tourist community or a community, so there's a whole variety of metrics and what um, at the end of it um, really produces is and I've seen this done in other communities I've worked for, is oftentimes people are usually very happy where they live, but there's usually in there some great data points of where we're lacking in terms of policy and, and financial priority development. Um, and it also helps the community kind of build a little bit of an identity. Um, as we go through our marketing and branding project, there's kind of a nice um, symbiosis there um, where we're obviously recognized for Ben Franklin, um, and nobody's ever going to take that away. I doubt you'll ever leave the wall behind you, Natalie, as he stares us down and makes us think about everything. But um, but also, there's a modern day look at what your community is and who you are. And, and um, citizen satisfaction surveys have a really great way of kind of analyzing what citizen feelings are about their community. It's really important to I, to know this is a scientific random-based survey which is really critical, right? All of the surveys that we've done up to now are basically internal surveys done on Google Forms that push out. And most people who do surveys are interested in really doing surveys. 
Um, and sometimes that da those data sets can be a little skewed in certain directions on policy development. These are, are legit scientific-based surveys that come in and help you give a broader sense of character for your community. So um, this all, price also does include um, the survey to go out in uh, several different languages, um, particularly uh, for the largest two sub-demographics in Franklin, which is those of Indian and Asian descent. Um, those surveys will be in both of those languages in a variety of languages to accommodate those communities as well. So, um, and then the presenters come in um, you know, presumably sometime this fall, for example, um, and they give they give you an overview of where you compare on housing, transportation, schools, a whole variety of things relative to not just other Massachusetts and New England communities, but also the rest of the country. Um, and so you can really get a very good baseline snapshot of where we're going as a community um, and what the priorities of the community are moving forward. And is the forty thousand an estimate, or is that an actual quote you got? Yeah. It's actually, it, it, is, it is, I think it might be the first time I've ever done this in my office, is a legit quote. Legit. Yeah, it is actually a legit quote, it's not an estimate. And in the materials, we, I think we put in the quote section on the agenda um, down there. It's a very long document, the quotes, but the police fire usually get very good quotes. Um, and all the other agencies that have quotes are in there, and I think our POCO um, company right here is in there. Max. Your streak is broken, Mr. Chairman. Your streak is broken. Yes, it is. Broken. broken. Started out. Shattered tonight. We actually have a citizen here. He was up. He was. It's actually because the master plan committee got done early, and he walked out. Well, I was going to come for here, and I was just going to stay for a half hour. I ended up going the whole thing. And the reason I stayed is because up there is because they were doing a survey, yep. and it wasn't represented. And they had to, they couldn't use it, almost couldn't really use it at all because it wasn't represented, it did, wasn't done well. Right. And so that's why we need something like this uh, that will be representative of the population. And I actually would go a step further and say, if you're going through all that trouble of getting a representative stamp, sample, maybe having a panel of people that you could pull from uh, continuously over time that continues to stay a part of that uh, group so that way you can um, continue to access that random sample without it just disappearing when you after you collect it. Really, Max brings up a great point. So typically when communities start doing these, then you do them like say every five years or some interval to make sure you stay on top of exactly what Max is just talking about. <laughs> okay. Anybody else on the survey? Um, I don't think there's any I have no issues with the crisis intervention team. I think we're all listening to police of the fire radio. We understand we need something to help them. Unless you guys have any uh, explain explanations that you want to give? No. No. Um, school and town website. Is it a whole makeover, or? You look wicked confused. Oh. So, well, yeah. you know what's frustrating? I'll tell you what's frustrating with this website that we have now, yeah. is the number of broken links. When you click on something to go somewhere, and it doesn't go. The page doesn't exist, or in my case, trying to log in to see, what was the meeting last night? The planning board, Monday night. We didn't have internet somewhere, 
I guess at this TV studio. So I tried just going in through the website and it says I have to sign it. You give me, put my username and password in it, which I can You've done that a couple times. That's for the staff to log in. So I don't know where you're going. Um, I'm going to click a link on the website. That's where I'm going and I get to. But those, if those kinds of things are gonna get fixed, those things are going to get fixed. <laughs> Those things are going to get fixed. Thank you very much. How's that? That's good. I, I, I suspect the current website is probably 10 years old or more. Seven. I actually Seven. spearheaded that when I got here eight years ago, surprisingly. That was the reason. It broke all my legs. Yeah, the website, you did not have a website before that. You claimed you did. But it was just one long page that went on forever. <laughs> with really no information, but that's besides the point. Uh, really quickly, this is kind of just an update to both sites. Um, uh, the, uh, we've done a couple demos recently with the school department um, and just trying to um, kind of do a refresh, uh, not just broken links, but um, unbeknownst to us, the company we originally contracted with, Virtual Town Hall and School, we did know they got bought out by Civic Plus, which is a national company and kind of unbeknownst to us, there was an upgraded model. We never really tapped into it. I think the biggest challenge with the links, Mr. Chair, is really about capacity. Um, neither the schools nor the town have a dedicated staff member toward just doing website updates. Um, and so really it's a departmental um, by department kind of upgrade you know, here, there. And what we're just trying to do is spend this year while we're doing again branding and the civic survey, um, is to take the year, go through, just do a, a real house clean, and try to have the website refresh for both the town and the schools. This also is based off quotes. Um, we are still working with one of the companies to get a couple final answers before making a decision, so we haven't really made a final decision on what company we're going with. Um, uh, but we should have that shortly, and really here, the cost here is for the major maintenance upgrade. The licensing fees and things will eventually be in the operating budget um, on the on Tim's budget like it usually is now. After it's updated, will there be someone who's an owner of the website? You just say kind of it goes department by department. Will there be a central owner of the new website or will it still just be up to the individual departments? I think, I think Tim has nothing to do with <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's a, it's a great question. I mean, I think one, I think like police, fire, DPW, I mean, senior center, maybe some schools or some various areas may have very proficient um, staff already who do a great job. Um, you know, um, if you look at like the, I'll just use the police site as one example, always updated. There's nothing up there that's broken. Um, they have a couple people. They also have an officer that deals with communications. Um, so they do have some capacity built into the team there, um, some admin staff. Um, the bigger trouble for us has really been the folks here in this building. Um, and there's a lot of many small departments, one or two people, so that's a little harder. I think it's a policy discussion at some point about the priority list of whether the town is going to invest in staff members for the town and or school. Um, obviously, we had to make some reductions this year, which was in our, I think both of our views, um, far from optimum because it does put that pressure on all of the other rest of the admin staff, which they may not have that time or that expertise or that interest. Um, so I think on the list of needs, 
Um, I think I would speak to the superintendent, he's giving me the big thumbs up in the back. This is something we strategically have to begin talking about in terms of just broader capacity because unfortunately there will not be anyone that we have when this is done as of today to just say, here you go, this is your job. Um, there's a lot of website to cover. <laughs> You know, um, yeah. so it's something we really need to think about. Yeah, and I mean that's how everyone looks for information nowadays. So, and yeah. their organic living, you know, websites change every day. You know, there's always new information changing. So I can see how there's a real need for that. Yeah, absolutely agree. Do you know if the website is going to be um, made accessible, like uh, for vision impaired people? I don't know if that's been covered as you guys have gone through. I think it, it, it is now. Yeah, yeah actually. Um, the, even even the, the current website, <clears throat> and again, to, to first backtrack a little bit and say how the website is covered now, keep in mind when we're talking about our website, it's not just website, right? It's, it's Twitter, it's Facebook, it's all of the other pieces too that extend off from the website and feed into the website as well. So it's that whole social media presence, the website's just a piece of that. Back in the day, it was just the website, right? Where is it? Go on the website. Now it's, where is it? Well, it feeds from the website, post the news, subscribe to news, whatever. Um, so there are a lot of pieces to that puzzle. Um, but making things ADA compliant on a web page, um, we've moved in that direction and there's a lot of, um, so when someone creates a new page on the website, like legacy pages, there may be some holes, but when someone creates a new website, now they can't click save on the page unless they fill in the pieces that make that page ADA compliant. You have to put the description of whatever photo you're putting on there, for example. So it is now, it is for new new content, but with the revamp, that a lot of that will get cleaned up as well. So. To the next three items, police department, fire department, uh, I guess fire first, then police, and then the DPW. I don't want to go each item, there's 15 items there. If the, the chiefs and the director could give like a five minute, this is what we want and this is why we need it. Quick, yeah. quick speak. Let's uh, start with the fire. Yep. Alphabetically. You don't mind, that's okay. <laughs> and just, just, you know, there's whatever, just kind of an overview of what's needed and what was needed that didn't happen, particularly in equipment uh, in tense places like police fire and DBW. Uh, so I guess to start off, so one of the first requests is uh, our annual request for structural firefighting gear. So this year we're looking for uh, placement of 10 sets of gear. Uh, so we do that. Uh, each member of the department, try, we try to outfit them with two sets of gear. And NFPA is a standard that that gear is only good for 10 years. So on a rotation basis, uh, we look to replace this gear. That's the helmet, coats, pants, uh, the, the mask, the hoods, the gloves everything that's needed to be able to uh, essentially enter our, our calls on a, on a daily basis. So this right. year is 82 grand for 10? 10. 10 sets, correct. And next year is 90 for 10? 
Correct. So every year there is some sort of annual price increase. So next year you'll see some sort of uh, either 5% worked in um, for the, those 10 sets. The other question I have is 10 the proper number. Should it be 14 or whatever so that there's some every five years everything turns over like we were talking about screams in the schools. You don't want at the end of X years to be having to buy 50. Right. Get my this is a good number in a, in a plan out over probably five years. Yeah, so what is a good number today? Uh, I will say there are some challenges with it. Uh, we track everything by spreadsheets. So for example, we have a retirement and we have to hire somebody new. So uh, if we hire somebody new, typically that's coming out of our operating budget to outfit them with that new gear. All right, so then from there on, we have to plan every five years for that individual to get a new set of gear. So, so we do track it. Uh, we do the best we can to, to work with, with our budget. 10 is a good number this year. Yes. Yes. Portable radios, didn't we just buy a lot of them? We did. Uh, we were, we were knock or something. Thankfully, we have an AFG, a FEMA AFG grant to bring in the portable radios. So what's in here this year is actually from mobile radios, although our heading does say portable mobile. This will be just before four mobile radios. Um, two of the radios, we're going into the new ambulance that will be hopefully delivered summer of this year. Uh, one of the radios would be for the tower, uh, because potentially that could be here before our next round of capital. Um, and right now, through Motorola, I just heard today they're looking about at least a 20-week lead time uh, to get any equipment. Uh, the last one of the four radios that's listed there would be either for the new battalion chief vehicle if we get it, uh, but if we did not get the vehicle, that radio would actually be put into the current battalion chief radio to basically boost the capability uh, where we can talk to all the towns in the area, which is something we've been looking to upgrade to. And the next thing is the Chief's vehicle. Uh, what's the current, how old is the current one? So the current one is a 2015 um, police interceptor. Uh, that one has just shy now about 70,000 miles on it. Um, so it's about 270,000 mile equipment as far as the engine hours. Uh, we since we've added the staffing and added the time chief in, the roles changed a little bit. So that vehicle when it was bought, was bought when we had the captain at headquarters on the engine. With them now being responding on their own, um, just basically the capabilities of the vehicle, what they're allowed to carry, what they can carry for the size of the vehicle, it's just not meeting the needs anymore. Um, if you've seen the back of it, uh, it's the one that we kind of affectionately call the <coughs> ladybug, the red and black Explorer. Um, that one, two-thirds of the rear seat have been removed in order to actually put our command console in it. So it only holds basically the driver, the officer, the battalion chief, and one other person, a third person in the back, they're really small. Um, so having the capability here, going to the pickup, it would give us basically room for five people. Um, if we need to bring personal down to the scene to pick up equipment, whatever it would be, and would allow the entire back to put a cap on it on a slide-out tray so they can actually carry more equipment a lot more equipment that they're able to carry now. Durable medical equipment? All right. Uh, <laughs> so we actually, we have two Lucas machines. So those are CPR machines. So we previously bought uh, 
the original batch back in 2013. Uh, so those are coming at the end of their life. Uh, so those essentially strap around the torso into the chest uh, if somebody's in cardiac arrest. Those machines provide CPR and they provide it more effective than we can. Uh, if anybody's ever taken a CPR class, you know uh, getting out on the mannequin, you get tired pretty quickly. So these machines are actually more effective. Uh, the manufacturer actually uh, can't support these any longer. Uh, they can't provide the parts for them, so that's why we're looking to replace these now. All right. As a uh, veteran of that machine who is still here talking, Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> the other things are our, our life pack monitor. So our current monitor, we have three of them. One is nine years old. That's what we're looking to replace. Uh, they're essentially a computer. They monitor cardiac rhythms, EKGs, do 12 leads. Uh, they do pacing, defibrillation. Uh, so it's a, essentially a big computer. So we're looking to replace that and keep up with that. And the last thing there is a stretcher. So it's a power load stretcher. So we have four ambulances. They all have the power load system. So inside the ambulance themselves, they have a docking station uh, that, that the power cart attaches to, charges, loads into the back of the ambulance. This is just for the stretcher here alone. Um, it's a power stretcher that is operated by battery. Uh, saves us on back injuries. Uh, the original one we bought was 11 years ago, so that's what this kit to replace. Do you have any stats on how many back injuries didn't happen? Uh, we don't, but um, we obviously believe strongly that there are some that we saved, and that saves a considerable amount of cost to the town. To keep moving, I assume hoses and nozz nozzles are part of the it's kind of tough to have a fire department with leaky hoses and stuff like that. Again, this is planning for the tower okay. uh, because the lead time, even from that, that manufacturer, is quite a few months. If we wait till the next capital, potentially that tower can be sitting there not being used because we don't have any equipment for it. Okay, is there anything that you requested from Mr. Helen that you felt was needed that didn't make this list? Everything made the list. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> nice job. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Did I miss something? You did. No, no. You missed another block. What's Settle down on that. <laughs> okay, yes, sir. Absolutely. Um, yeah, nothing uh, Nothing new. Typical yearly request that we have for uh, police vehicles. Uh, we're looking for four uh, units and a motorcycle. Um, again, these are the, the vehicles that met their rage and uh, service requirements, so it's time for them to be uh, put out to uh, auction and replaced uh, electronic control weapons. That is a misprint right there. This is actually the fifth year of the five-year lease program for these. Um, this will be the last year that you're going to get that kind of, you know, 14600 cost because um, 
whenever something works pretty well and everything else, but it's made of plastic and you don't want, you need to make us buy additional or a different model, they basically discontinue it and they won't make the batteries for them anymore. Um, so now we're going to have to go with a, a newer model. We're going to be testing out the uh, 7 and the 10. We're at the Taser 26 is what we have right now. We'll be looking at two different models to figure out. Of course, they are an additional cost, and we'll be doing a whole new um, tap program, as they call it, because it's just easier to spread it out than buying them uh, all at the same time. We actually, overall, it's a little cheaper, and they give us a lot of stuff for free as part of it, like uh, training cartridges and stuff like that. Um, Protective body armor, AKA bulletproof vests. Um, again, 13 vests, it could be 20 next year. You know, it all depends on when the five year <coughs> warranty on the uh, body armor uh, expires. That will, you know, this year it happens to be that we need 13 of them. And don't forget, the, this request of, of uh, 15651 will be totally reimbursed 50% by the state and 50% by the federal government. So we're just asking for the money and then it, we, we get the, the whole thing back again. And then lastly, we're looking for some uh, technology uh, equipment, basically some uh, desktops uh, that we need to replace and some money for some of the uh, software that we want to uh, upgrade. Tim, you agree with that? Mm -hmm. yeah, we, we always make sure we can get the blessing of IT on what we're looking for. Um, yeah, two things, because uh, I don't know if it will come up, but uh, every single one of these items is a yearly, every single year occurrence. Should not be in capital. It probably should be in the operating budget. I just don't know where you're going to get the 300000 this year, the 400000 next year, and the 500000 the year after that to actually include in the operating budget from what we currently have. Um, it's one of the things I put in uh, for the request or what we were looking for in the future if we were to get the override. Um, that it would be nice if these things were in the operating budget, probably they should be. Um, the second thing was the, um, no, there was nothing that we needed and requested that we didn't get. Everything that we requested, we did receive. Um, and it's pretty much been that way for quite some time, so we appreciate that. Matt, go with that one. Sorry. The first. Name and address. Maxwell Marangello, 127 Central Park Terrace. Um, I, I didn't know, are uniforms a part of the capital or are they part of the operating expenditures? Uh, operating. Operating, okay. The, the uniforms we wear? Yes, 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 yes. Yes, sir, part of the operating. Okay, no, I just, uh, one of the things, it's probably a discussion for another time, but, um, you know, I know community policing is very important to the department and I feel that a lot of times sort of the military black kind of, as someone who has mental illness and has, has had interactions with police where I was, you know, needed to get help. Um, sometimes the black uniform can be intimidating, and I just didn't know if in the future if the department would be able to consider like a lighter color, like blue, or, I know it sounds like, you know, very small, but I think just the mentality of the uniform can, um, um, it influences how people interact with police, and I think it's something to consider at a future meeting when you talk about the operating budget. So just to respectfully with thought, I'm not, you know, I know you all do a great job and uh, and I actually had a positive experience when I needed help and was able to receive it. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Okay. I mean, I'll answer it right. I mean, th this is blue. <laughs> it's a navy, um, but that's what we wear. And I don't know if you're talking about the outer carriers that the officers wear, 
All right, so uh, several years ago, we ended up doing a pilot program with 16 of the officers to wear an outer carrier. And what I mean by that is, so I'm wearing like the traditional, and then wear the duty belt. You're not seeing me with a full duty belt on because my lower back after 28 years is a little bit not as good as it was 28 years ago. Because um, you're talking about 28 pounds is what it, it weighs when you're talking the magazines with the full ammo, the firearm, the taser, the baton, the radio, etc. Um, so we did a pilot. There was a, science, there was a study done by a, a college university talking about that, how it would be better on the backs that things are on your shoulders the weight then versus on your hips and your, you know, um, and so forth. So 16 of the officers ended up wearing that out of carrier for six months. And afterwards were like, absolutely, this is the way to go. So I offered it to the entire department. And I said, if you want to go with the out of carrier, I think there's only about three or four officers, really more veterans that just, you know, can't teach an old dog new tricks type thing, didn't want it. And they're all wearing it. Now I bought all of it with federal asset forfeiture money. That's why I never came before here and asked. Um, I, I took drug money that we took from drug dealers and basically bought the equipment to save my officers. Now, the other reason was three officers, since I've been chief, early in the first few years, ended up going out on disability pensions due to lower back issues. Uh, no one else has gone out since then and everybody is, you know, basically loves it. And when you come in and you're doing a report, you can just take it right off and put it down. Um, it's the same equipment, it's just where it's placed. Instead of it being around here, it's all up here. So I don't know if that answers, you know, it's the, it's the same thing. You know, just, just, just the color. That's, I didn't, I, yeah, just the color. It, it's the same color, though. It's but a it's dark. But like, like, um, oh, but I can. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, my comment, I guess, regards to like maybe 40 years ago, police officers had a lighter color uniform, like a very light blue, or maybe in Rhode Island a light brown, and now it's like, it's almost black. And I just, I thought, if, I don't know if anyone knows what I'm talking about, but I just know that's something that, um, was, I mean, I, the same uniform, but just a different color. And there was nothing that you asked for that Mr. Helen said no? No, he did not. We had, everything we asked for, we received. And I might note that Drug Money also bought the, the UTV, ATV, whatever that you use, yeah, the UTV. Ben Franklin, all the gear we use if we have a God forbid have to do an active shooter, all those different things. That's why if you're wondering like how come they never come with some extra in this and that um, because <laughs> we understand that the town, you know, money's tight. And so if we can get it through something else, that's what we use. Okay. Thank you. Any questions? Thank you. Um Curtis? Bruce. Thank you. Mr. Chair, how are you? Once again, Bruce Henry, Public Works Director. I'm joined by um, Doug Martin, the Water and Sewer Superintendent, and also uh, Jay Stearns, the background of Fleet Manager, everything specific. Um, I'll just go over the original you know, the general fund type things. And uh, obviously road maintenance is $150,000 uh, increase. But as uh, the town administrator said before, we were able to put in the operating budget uh, $600,000 as previously, how we explain it was always came from the, it was $600,000 you kind of gave us at the end of the year that was left over from general fund from snow money. 
So this year, it, it gives us a lot more flexibility going forward, because I think I can tell you through what's happening out in the construction industry is that there's a lot of a lot of work out there because of ARPA. So the early person gets the lower bid price. So we're, I think you, I don't have to tell you, we're pretty good about asset management planning and bidding out stuff early. So this is gonna allow us to bid stuff out earlier instead of having to wait later to get the work done. So it's actually, a, it's a good thing. It could save us money. But our costs are going up on construction right now tremendously. Um, sidewalk maintenance is uh, something that always comes up. We always put money uh, towards it. We've recently done an um, asset management plan for sidewalks and done for roads and just about everything else. And one thing we identified was a lot of uh, ADA compliance issues where our, um, our uh, ADA crosswalks might not be at the perfect standards where they're at. So I think you noticed last year, we spent almost $200,000 fixing panels and um, a lot of ADA crosswalks throughout town. They're, they're pretty easy to tell because the old concrete's dirty and you see these really nice white panels and cleaned up. So uh, if you think about folks at home driving around, that's, that's we've done a, quite a bit of those. And this is gonna just keep that program going. we end up fixing utilities work? They dug it up and replaced it with tar. Um, we don't use tar anymore. We call it bituminous concrete. Oh. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the, yeah, they were they're required to do that. They have to put a bond up to do that. And um, actually, last year I got into it with uh, uh, the gas company because over on Lincoln Street, the, the crosswalk there, where we had done the, the permanent, um, the textured type stuff. They had dug it up and hadn't repaired it. They were kind of putting off on so. I don't know, as public works director, I can kind of delay permits. So we delayed the permits for a while. Um, it's amazing how fast they came in and fixed it. They fixed the right away. Yeah, no, it's funny how that happens. Yes. <laughs> um, and then we have our vehicles equipment, and you know, I, I can't say it enough, and um, the guys notice it, that um, you folks in the council, you know, this isn't an annual thing. This is, this is, it's been going on for 15, 20 years. The, uh, the overall equipment that we have down at Public Works has improved tremendously, which is so important in today's operations because it doesn't matter if it's a backer truck or a shovel, it's a tool. And the hardest thing that we need to do is get personnel out there, we want to do it safely, we want to do it efficiently, we want to have the best tools to do it. And so when we look at this equipment, these, these, these are tools, and they're expensive tools, but they're also increased efficiency and safety and getting the job done. So um, the first one is it's, it's called a six-wheel hook truck sander, liquid tank, flatbed, um, $280,000. This is a type of truck that has a, um, once again, we've learned and things have adapted over the years is like our powertrains, um, the less powertrains you have, the less maintenance you have on something. So we look at the versatility of it. It's, it'd be the same thing as, um, so these trucks, we could put a flatbed on and we could haul materials. And then it has a big hook on the back so the bed can be taken off hydraulically. Then we can go ahead and put the, uh, like in this particular case, a tank. You know, we're using those spray tanks now to go out and pre treat the roads for um, those squiggly lines people see on the roads. So that program worked, you know, we tested out, worked out pretty good with a smaller truck. So now we're going to try to expand that program with this truck. And also we put a plow on it. And also um, we still call them sanders, but you know, they're actually salters. So, um, so actually, if nothing else, we're getting three uses out of this truck, and this truck is gonna be used all the time. And it's replacing a truck that's you know 25 years old, basically, that when it was built, and the reason this truck, once again, is going bye-bye is because it's rotted. It's just, the, the salt just kills it. Um, I just wanted, to, one thing on, it was brought up before about um, you know, looking for grants. 
Uh, there was a, a, a grant program put out for an electric vehicles, large vehicles, and we looked into that. Um, and the pros and cons of it, the, the pros was it's a 50% grant. Sounds pretty good, right? Yeah, but the truck was $600,000. So it would have cost more than purchasing one of these trucks. And then I can't lie, it's, I'm still sketchy on some of the stuff that's electric powered because of having to deal with storms and power outages. It's great if you have this truck, but you no. Know, and we do have generators, don't get me wrong, but if the truck goes down, you just it's not like you're DeWalt drilling, you just put a new battery in it. The truck goes down, we can't use it. So um, that's still an issue, I think, you know, it's gonna work out through time. But we, we have looked at grants like that. Jay did a great program uh, checking that out, but it, it just didn't make fiscal sense. Um, the one-ton dump truck would plow, you know, they're up to $105,000. These are basically the workhorses of um, are the DPW. You see these things running around, you know, all the time now. We've done cost efficiency things. We don't buy diesels anymore because they, you know, diesels are meant to, you know, can last four to 500,000 miles. We'll never get them out of those trucks just because they're not, um, they rot away by the time we do it. So gas is actually cheaper to run and, and maintain in the diesel products. Um, additionally, we go with stainless, I think I've explained to you before, we use stainless steel beds, and when we can, we remove the stainless steel bed from the old truck, and we'll put on a new truck for the chassis, so that does save money. Um, and the wide area mower, these go back to when, um, another cost efficiency thing is when um, uh, Public Works, uh, I'll use the word assisted, the school department at the time, and took over all their facilities, because, um, there's disparity, I will say our fields were much better shaped in the school department, people were running back, so we took them over and we tried to create a standard throughout the town so it didn't matter if you went to a school facility or a public field, they were all the same. And this is involved, it's worked out great, but these are some of the big mowers that we have to buy to uh, maintain it. And you know, once again, we're constantly looking at efficiency type things. These mowers, you know, we can, we can outsource different work and we have outsourced you know, some of the school work around the schools, you know, mulching and stuff like that. But it's still more cost effective for us to own our own mowers and have DPW staff um, mow the fields. So that's working out pretty good. Um, and once again, we get 12 years out of mowers. So that, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty cost effective. So that's pretty much the equipment aspect of what we have. For question. Same question. Was something you needed that you didn't get? I got the list right over here. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Actually, usually, yeah. usually, usually, like the chief was referencing in his joke a moment ago, usually this guy loads up with like 10 extra vehicles after all this stuff to be ready to answer that question. This year, these were the three things he asked for. Yeah, no, uh, because I think these were definitely the three highest priorities. Yep. And, and like I said, it's <laughs> it's um, it, it goes back to it's it's like anything else. I say when whatever asset we have, whether it's a road. It's a water system, um, it's our equipment. You know, the, the, the council and you folks, we've, we've made purchases, so we're, you know, we've got over the hump. We spent a lot more money, but now it's easier to maintain. I think, you know, the, the, the police chief will say the same thing. I remember three chiefs before setting up that whole vehicle program about, you know, replacing things in a timely manner so it's not one big whack at one time and putting it off, you know, deferred maintenance. So um, uh, it, it does work out and, you know, it does show and go forward. I don't think we ever want to read that someone got seriously hurt because of a pork piece of town equipment. That's right. all. Correct. It fell off. Of Who knows? Yep. Um, at the end, okay. 
Uh, yeah, I'm going to let Doug cover these. Sure. Um, so we have uh, Fisher Street Water Treatment Plant Phase 2 um, of the design work uh, for 663000 and change. Uh, so that is to uh, finish the design of uh, the upgrade of the Fisher Street plant. Um, that plant, uh, I don't know if you know, has um, was built in 2004-ish time frame. Um, it was a, it's a pressure membrane plant. It's cost a lot of money to run and operate. Uh, the membranes that are in there are uh, obsolete. They don't make them anymore. Um, so we're kind of, uh, you know, we got like a year and a half, two years left, depending on how we operate it, um, for those existing membranes. And uh, we need to look at uh, either upgrading those or uh, changing it to a different process. So we did an evaluation and we found that, you know, going to the green sand uh, pressure uh, filtration vessel like we did over at Grove Street would be more beneficial. We'll save our electricity, only have to pump once instead of four times. Um, so that's what this, this project is looking at. Uh, we also included uh, PFAS remediation uh, as well. And uh, we did just get, uh, we're on the draft uh, IEP list, uh, intended use plan uh, list for SRF funding. Um, as well for this project. SRF? SRF. Yeah. They get they give you some uh, interest reduction. It saves us it saves that we've gotten all our big projects, whether it's the beaver interceptor, other plants we've done, they uh they actually pay a lot it saves us millions of dollars. Yeah. And just add on to Doug, just give it a little you know, this treatment plant is like this is like our workhorse. This is this is our main one. You know, this is this is the same wells that we frankly been pulling their first their first well you know going back to probably early 18 or late 18 early 1900s probably yeah so without these wells um yeah we're hurt <laughs> i don't know what else to say it fail street that was an update yes uh fail street was an update um that area we've been having um really bad water quality concerns, pressure concerns. It's an old cast iron main. Um, it was, it's one of our top priorities in our next five year water uh, replacement plan uh, when that comes out. Uh, but we can't wait until that's ready. So uh, we put money in there to, uh, to replace that main in kind. Uh, meters is an ongoing thing that we do uh, every year, 50,000. We're constantly upgrading our meters to continue that process. Um, a lot of towns, they'll, um, they'll just let meters go for 20 years and then every 20 years come in and do them. We're trying to keep up with it and uh, to, that way we don't have to do it all at once. You know my old joke, the, we, I call them the cash registers. Yeah. We got to keep them working. And every year you hear about, I think it was Newman this year, that they hadn't had any kind of plan. They go ahead and replace them, and all of a sudden, they put in and people are fourteen, twenty thousand dollars. So, because the old thing is, no one ever calls me and say, "Gee, I got a low water bill." That never happens. <laughs> I don't know why, but eventually, so that's why we keep on top of them. And once again, that was it was a big ticket item ten years ago um, that we had to go through. We had to borrow to do a large part of the town, but now we just keep doing it. You know, this incremental fifty thousand dollars to you know, so not going to be whacked out again in one big time so it's a great program it's been working really well and it's and then once again i'll say it's very cost effective because we have our folks doing it where you know when you have to do the big jobs you have to go out and get an outside contractor to do and you got to pay a premium for that but we have a great staff um, down there that does a lot of good work and they, 
they replace lot meters. How many meters of 50 grand? Uh, with, well, that includes the readers, so probably about, um, you know, 1,500 maybe. So place them all about every nine years, eight years? Uh, we're on a 20-year cycle, so every time we go to a property for whatever reason it is, um, we're looking at the meter, even if it's 20 years or even 19, say, we'll replace it. So every 20 years, meters get replaced. General infrastructure, I assume, is un unanticipated. Correct. Yep. Um, we have a new valve exercising uh, program with our valve exercising machine, and uh, as we um, encounter, you know, valves that maybe leak or need to be replaced, we'll pull from this this pot. Shall we move on to where the water finally comes? The sewer. The sewer system. <laughs> <laughs> um, Luckily, it goes to Medway. <laughs> yes, yeah. all, all the sewer goes to Medway. Um, so on here we have uh, $250,000 for uh, replacement of uh, a control system. Um, this is part one, so you're going to see this kind of year over year um, for the next you know five years or so. Um, we have about seven stations that have really old controls. Um, and that we're looking to just start it's upgrading. Just the electronics. Electronics, yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, they were put in in the, in the 80s, so that's that. Um, item B, 150000 for a, a CCTV camera equipment. Uh, so that will, will give us the ability to put a camera in the sewer main and check for leaks, blockages, uh, aid in cleaning. Uh, so we can kind of team up a camera and our Vactor uh, jet truck at the same time and all help us with, with those items. And then uh, item C is SCADA upgrades. Uh, we've been working really hard on the water side for SCADA. SCADA is, you know, it's the computer program. It, 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 it sends alarms, it tells us, uh, helps us with operating. Um, so we're, we're looking to just upgrade that at the sewer stations and so. Yeah. Track the poopies. Uh, track yeah, and then one item on that's not on here that we were able to pay. hopefully smooth it. Yeah. And one item that's All on jokes. that uh, Jamie noted on here is we had five hundred thousand left in ARBA funds that we're using for uh, additional I and I um, reduction. Set the trucks in the middle of the road. Line. Line. That's, that's yeah. Part yeah. yeah. And for folks at home, I and I we use that term quite a bit. Uh, inflow intrusion. It's just ways that water, it could be groundwater, it could be other things, are getting into the sewer pipes. And what had what basically happens? We send more flow to the plant, and we're basically the towns build on build on flow. One of the things. So for sending less water over there, you know, try to remove the, the things that don't need to be treated. Yes, like groundwater. That goes with the whole groundwater thing. We want to keep groundwater Franklin so we can drink it. Um, sewer related question. Do we still have capacity in Medway? Yes. Yes. And we own how much of it? We own about 70%, give or take, of the total capacity at Medway, and we're using just over so about 60% of our allotted 70%. I heard a selectman's meeting in Medway months ago that said they were trying to buy some. Yep. Yep. Yeah, they should they have sold some. it yet. No. no. They're priced. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
What we own is very, very valuable. I'll just put it to you that way. On a lot of different terms, not just money. Economics, a lot of different things go along with that. And uh, it's not that we don't want to help our neighbors out, and we've talked to them, and, but this hasn't been an agreement yet. Make sense, boss? 100%. Yep. Ranch, you had a question again? Uh, 127 Central Park Terrace, Maxwell Marangello. Um, I just had one question and then one comment. Um, the first question was with regards to the water ca capital expenses and the sewer capital expenses. Are those bonded against the uh, sewer rate, or the, the money that comes from the sewer fees and the water fees, or is that coming out of a different account? Everything, um, whether for my pretty much department, they're called enterprise funds. So water, sewer, trash, and stormwater. Any, in layman's terms, any money that any users that have to pay, or have to be a user to pay into it, so the taxpayer does not pay into it, um, goes into that fund, and we can't spend any money, and we can't lose any money on it. So, you know, we, we have things like reserve funds, you know, so if we collect extra money one year, we'll go into reserve funds. If not, we take money out of the reserve funds. But yes, um, it doesn't come from any of us. Like, I can't use water money for sewer, I can't use stormwater money for trash, and I can't use water money to fix a school. It's so these capital expenditures are coming out of those accounts? Absolutely. Oh, good. Okay. Yep. And my other, my other comment was um, surprisingly about sidewalks, but not what you might think. Um, so, you know, budgeting, if we don't get new revenue, is a, a zero-sum game, and it's about priorities. And so my question to the Finance Committee is, if you have a million dollars for sidewalks, is it what's more important, a million dollars for sidewalks or a million dollars for teachers? Because that's you know that's money that can't be used for other things. So I, I do think that you know we've had a lot of departments come up and say that they've got everything they asked for, and I know one department back there that hasn't. Uh, so I would consider ask the finance committee to look at their numbers and consider maybe you know do we and especially the other fact is is that construction costs are very high right now. Um, it might make sense if there are some maintenance that can be deferred without making costs worse, worse down the road. If there's some things that, things that can be deferred, it might make sense to wait until construction costs go down. So I'd ask the Finance Committee to take a hard look and see if maybe diverting some uh, money to, from sidewalks to schools. I know it's capital, but there's interest that has to be paid on that, and that, um, you know, that's this, that uh, ultimately comes out of the operating account. So, thank you. I'll, my comment is, it's better to spend the money to repair and enhance and upgrade before we have to do it in an emergency basis. So the, the way this has happened over the, since I've been on 10 ish years, it's always a steady enhancing of the equipment we have, which which cuts down on the number of emergency problems. So through Chair, um, to Max's point, you asked the fire and police and DPW, did they get everything from the town administrator that they asked for? If we further the roll call, um, actually, um, if we ask technology, did you get everything you asked for? Um, generally, the answer would be yes for what's reasonable, but there's a lot of other needs that Tim has asked for outside of the capital process that have not been funded. Um, I would say um, for the school department, we did actually fund actually more than they requested. Um, they did get everything they requested. And then I also added in the website money 
um, for them. And we also ended in, added in the uh, modular removal uh, at the Kennedy School, which the facilities department uh, requested. Um, and then finally, the facilities department did not get everything they asked for um, because Mike has, <laughs> Mike could eat the whole budget up. Um, and the reality is there's also other ways to fund facilities through borrowing and debt exclusions and other things like that. So um, uh, just, I just want to make sure the record is, is stated clearly. Everything this, the superintendent asked for in this round did get funded. It's just, I'm relating that to the question that he brought up on capital. Thank you. So, so I just want to clarify, if, if you put money towards debt, that you have to pay that down with the operating account, correct? Uh, typically? Well, it depends yeah. on the debt from these enterprise funds. And police and fire department debt comes from taxes. So sidewalks comes from enterprise funds? We don't, we don't, no. In general, sidewalks are not really part of our budget. The infusion of capital money here towards sidewalks is to deal with the maintenance of sidewalks because many people, rightly so, have been advocating heavily for sidewalk maintenance improvements. We can use check some Chapter 90 monies from the state. Um, also, there is some maintenance money in the operating budget for sidewalks, but that's just for like that's just for maintenance of major problems in very very high visible areas. In fact, there's a map right over there, uh, Max, where you can look at a heat map of where some of those improvements are. And most of the improvements, as Brutus has stated, on sidewalks have been made to handicapped accessibility areas mainly around downtown and the highly traveled streets. But to make it clear, because people ask me this all the time, I think partially Max has heard this too, we don't have any money for new sidewalks. Um, that, is, that is, in my view, almost impossible um, to finance without making some major cuts to general operations somewhere else. Um, you're looking, Brutus, these days at a mile of new sidewalk is probably between a million and a half to two million, depending on the drainage, stormwater, and engineering. One mile of sidewalk, two million bucks. Our entire tax levy for FY25 is going to be about three and a half million. Like at some point, we have to just say, we're not doing that. Tax increase to the levy. Yeah. Yeah. But for one mile of sidewalk, we can literally wipe out, for two miles of sidewalk, we can just wipe out everything else as an improvement next fiscal year. So it's just a sobering statistic that we have to start to realize there is no money for new sidewalks. Those are not happening unless there's some sort of game changer somewhere. Um, and as you can imagine, it's a couple million, a couple million bucks a mile, um, very, very hard to finance. So what we've tried to focus on is how can we make the improvements to the existing sidewalks to the best of our ability before we start going out into a whole other realm of sidewalks. And just to laugh, to, to end off and hopefully a little bit of a joke, can you imagine if you had one mile of sidewalk that you could build, could you imagine how many people in town would want that sidewalk on their street? <laughs> Sherman Ave. I, I mean all over the place, every road, Forest Street, right, in Washington Street. An editorial commenter. They put a brand new sidewalk in Sherman Ave, bituminous concrete sidewalk. Mm -hmm. Invariably, runners and people with strollers walk on the other side of the street. Invariably. 
because the sidewalks do this. They go up the driveways and down. And they oh, say, right. oh, that bothers me running. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Just a pet peeve. Sorry. Took a Huh? <laughs> Not anybody in the street. No. <laughs> Strollers, maybe. It's a short, it's a short street. It is no longer a But a nice street. Yes. Okay, I'll buy it. Okay. Uh, Are there questions? Any more questions about any capital item? <clears throat> it would be pretty good, frankly. Um, Jamie, there's two motions in here. Do you want them tonight? Yes, there's two resolutions. I know they're draft for the council, but just to, for efficiency, um, both of those resolutions, a separate votes needed for the two resolutions. Um, I make a motion that um, three million one hundred sixty-seven thousand six hundred sixteen dollars be appropriated from free cash. $1,063,450 be appropriated from water retained earnings, and $500,000 be appropriated from sewer retained earnings to be expended at the discretion of the town administrator for the FY 2024 capital improvement plan as outlined in the memo, including any residual funds remaining in these line items. Second. You have a motion and a second. Um, Natalie. Yes. Nicole is yes. Chano? Yes. Uh, Mike? Yes. Lauren? Yes. John? Yes. William? Yes. And George? Yes. I make a motion that the sum of $1,052,000 uh, be transferred from free cash to the OPEP trust, fire truck, fields, open space, and budget stabilization accounts um, for our purposes stated in the memo provided. Second. Uh, Natalie? Yes. Nicole's yes. Chema? Yes. Mike? Yes. Lauren? Yes. John? Yes. William? Yes. George? Yes. Um, I have a question about what joint budget. Yep. I know we are on it. Do you have And Lauren? And Lauren. Okay. I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. Anything else? Hearing none, motion to adjourn. Second. Oh, uh, oh my <laughs> Natalie. Yes. Nicole's yes. Jenna. Yes. Mike. Yes. Lauren. Yes. John. Yes. William. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tin Type Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.